One largely forgotten Maritimes woman managed to almost single-handedly break down barriers for women on both coasts of Canada in the early 1900s. She became the first lawyer in two separate provinces after years of legal battles while racking up an impressive string of victories. She did it because, in her own words, I wanted to make my own way in my own way. You're listening to Backyard History, the hidden stories that happened in your own backyard. The podcast version of the weekly history column running in newspapers across the Maritimes. With your host and author, Andrew McLean. Mabel French was not wealthy, like some of the leading voices of women's rights in her adulthood, like Lady Tilly, nor did she have the distinctly working-class roots, such as another hero of women's rights, Ella Hathaway. She was the daughter of a lower-middle-class St. John family, who was not well-connected and didn't really seem to even participate in the usual society trappings, like a church or a lodge. She said that she spent her childhood reading serious books and having serious conversations on serious subjects with my elders. After graduation from school, she found work as a stenographer with a prominent law firm in St. John. This meant transcribing notes from cases that lawyers were working on. She wouldn't even have been able to go into court at the time, as all of the in-court transcriptions were done by men. For many women of the time, this job would have been a temporary stop on an expected trajectory of getting married, having kids, and becoming a housewife and a mother. Yet, it seemed to awaken something in Mabel French, who said, It used to be drummed into us that the chief end of a woman was to get married as soon as she could. The idea of that kind of ambition made me feel rebellious. I wanted to make my own way in my own way. She began to consider becoming a lawyer herself. When she told people, the idea did not go over well. She explained, no such thing had ever been heard of as a woman lawyer in New Brunswick at that time. So I suppose that it did sound rather startling to my friends. If her friends were startled, her parents reacted even worse. She said they could not imagine what had put such a piece of foolishness into my head. The idea must have sounded far-fetched, as women were not allowed to be lawyers in New Brunswick. There were only two women lawyers in all of Canada at the time, and both were in Ontario, where special legislation had been passed years before to allow them to practice. So it was not an easy path that Mabel French had chosen for herself. There were two law schools in the Maritimes at the time. There was Dalhousie University in Halifax, and there was King's College of Windsor, Nova Scotia, which had a campus in St. John. Mabel French applied to the St. John School, and she was accepted on her own merits, seemingly without much in the way of controversy at all. After all, she wasn't actually even the first woman to attend the school, but she was the third. Edith Levitt Hannington and Isabel Mowat had both attended before her, although neither had returned after their first years. Mabel French, on the other hand, 
did return after her first year and went on to become the first woman to graduate from law school in New Brunswick. At her graduation ceremony, the class all sang to her, for she's a jolly good fellow. The St. John newspaper, the Daily Telegraph, wrote excitedly about her graduation, although what they wrote had little to do with her intellectual abilities. They wrote, her graduation gown was of white silk, it was beautifully gathered, and it was daintily trimmed. Miss French looked exceedingly pretty. The Daily Telegraph neglected to mention two rather important details when writing about how she looked. Mabel French had achieved the highest ever grade in the province, and that she was not allowed to practice law because she was a woman. Indeed, it seems that the New Brunswick Barrister Society was taken by surprise when Mabel French actually applied to become a lawyer. It was decided that the entire Barrister Society should assemble to have a special vote on whether or not they would allow her to be admitted. When the 40 Barristers' votes were counted, it ended in a 20-20 split. It was a tie. The matter was referred to the Supreme Court of New Brunswick. The court case would be decided by a panel of six judges, of course they were all men. The judges' comments on the case reflect actually a surprisingly explicit bias against her gender, with Chief Justice William Tusk telling her, I have no sympathy with the opinion that women should in all branches of life come in competition with men. The court's decision was unanimous. Mabel French was not allowed to practice law because, as a woman, she was not a person. This was actually a commonly accepted legal status at the time. Women were not persons. As such, they couldn't vote and they shouldn't work, although at the time 15% of New Brunswick's workforce was actually women, and they had relatively few legal protections and rights. Though the legal class might have commonly accepted this, times were changing and there were many prominent and vocal women's groups who were fighting against this. This was, after all, the year 1905. There was a new century and an optimistic view that women would soon be equal. The reaction to the Supreme Court of New Brunswick's decision on Mabel French was swift and outrage. Across the province, women were now vastly better organized and much more vocal than ever before. The working class St. John Women's Enfranchisement Association, led by Ella Hathaway, was especially well organized and was capable of gathering thousands of signatures on petitions and bombarding politicians with complaints to change the law to allow women to be lawyers. Mabel French, meanwhile, decided as her way of protesting that since she was not a person, there was no reason for her to pay her bills. When she soon got sued for her failure to pay her debts, she went to court with the novel defense that since she was not actually a person, not only could she not be sued, but she also didn't have to pay her debts. The court ruled against her on this, but this decision meant by extension acknowledging that despite being a woman, she was in fact a person. It was a small victory, but it wasn't really enough to especially help her achieve her dream of becoming a lawyer. However, New Brunswick's Attorney General Pugsley had followed her case closely. 
Spurred by these petitions and protests by the Women's Enfranchisement Association, he introduced a bill in the legislature to allow women to be lawyers. While defending the bill, he specifically rejected what the other judges had said, saying, Others may hold the woman's sphere is the domestic circle, but when we find them earning their livelihood and find them doing so with honor and credit to themselves, why should a man stand up and say they shall not engage in the practice of law? The law passed, and Mabel French was admitted to the bar, becoming a lawyer, the third woman in Canada to do so. Not just a lawyer, soon after she became a partner in the former law firm where she had once been working as a lowly stenographer. When the sign of the law firm was changed from Boston and Porter to Boston and French, it caused quite a stir in St. John. Perhaps fittingly, the first case Mabel French tried as a lawyer was defending a woman named Kate Smith, who was facing charges of being drunk and disorderly. The following is a report on the court case which was published in the Sun newspaper. Miss French startled the court by arguing that the statute against being drunk contained the wording any person. The strict interpretation of the English law showed that a woman was not a person, hence she could not violate the law. Kate Smith escaped conviction. Mabel French became involved with the St. John's Women's Enfranchisement Association and is thought to have written a bill the group took to the legislature, along with a petition supporting it containing 10,000 names, which would have allowed women the vote. The province's MLAs chose not to even vote on it. When her bill was not being voted on in Fredericton, Mabel French was actually away in Toronto as a special guest at the International Women's Congress. There she delivered a lengthy review of the legal status of women and children's rights in New Brunswick. And while being professionally restrained, she demonstrated how the law denied mothers of illegitimate children the authority to determine their welfare. The experience in Toronto put her amongst the most accomplished, articulate, and progressive women in the entire Western world. It broadened her worldview and gave her the impression that New Brunswick was, in her own words, a sleepy old town. Perhaps surprisingly, she was encouraged in this direction by the newspapers back in New Brunswick. While they covered her speech at length, writing warmly and positively of the hometown woman on the international stage, and covering in detail the speech she delivered, and writing proudly of the receptionist she received in Toronto, they also expressed disappointment that she only concerned herself with New Brunswick. It seems that even her one-time critics had come around to realizing that she was capable of doing more. While supportive of the young woman from their hometown, the papers also betrayed their own backward mentality of women's rights, with the St. John Globe writing in an editorial one great trouble with many of the reformers is that they are impatient to immediately secure practical results, and this impatience leads them to extremes. Within months of that Congress in Toronto, both of Mabel French's parents passed away, one soon after the other. In their wills, they had basically nothing of value to leave to their next of kin, which highlights how much their daughter had accomplished entirely on her own. Now untethered from St. John by family ties, like many maritimer at the time, 
And now, Mabel French moved to Vancouver, seeking, in her words, increased opportunities, just like any other barrister might. When she got there, though, she found that she was once again denied the right to practice law in that province. She had been lured out there by a duo of former New Brunswickers, Joseph and Finley Russell, from Newcastle, who had become some of the most successful and flamboyant lawyers in that province. Joseph owned the most expensive house in all of British Columbia, which actually contained its own bowling alley. The two lawyer brothers were involved in politics as progressives and backed Mabel French in what turned out to be a long, protracted, expensive, and shockingly misogynistic legal battle between the, even by the standards of the time, remarkably sexist and reactionary heads of the British Columbia Law Society, the British Columbia Courts, and the legislature in British Columbia. The fight would manage to make even the most misogynistic of New Brunswickers almost look like progressive feminists by comparison. Legal Avenue after Legal Avenue was blocked by judge after judge, some of which would not even allow Mabel French to be in the same room with them just because she was a woman. After two years of court losses, Mabel French had little to show for all of her work had failed at becoming a lawyer in her new home province. It seems that rather suddenly, in January of 1912, Mabel French reassessed her strategy and shifted it completely. Suddenly, the diverse women's groups in Victoria, who had a tendency to be divided between the high society women and the working class women, between educated middle class women and women who had worked with their hands, united with a focus on targeting the media. Barraged by not only letters from members of these women's groups, but by protests and by having their own reporters and editors accosted, demanding more coverage of Mabel French, the British Columbia newspapers began writing frequent, lengthy, and glowing articles about her. Even the conservative news advertiser published glowing articles calling for women to be lawyers. Perhaps it was because its new editor just happened to be an editor of the St. John Standard when Mabel French was first appointed a lawyer in New Brunswick years before. The target of this united broadside was the conservative government who was headed for a precarious election. While watching the women's groups work in unison, the uneasy conservative politicians also had to contend with that lawyer, Joseph Russell, warning them that women, who remember, were not allowed to vote, were so angry with the Mabel French situation that they would be encouraging their husbands to vote liberal. The last straw was when British Columbia's attorney general went home to Vancouver for the weekend. It was met by, or in his words, accosted by, a large group of women protesting the decision outside of his house. This intervention, days before the election, convinced him that this was a politically dangerous problem. The Attorney General rushed back to Victoria and introduced a bill to allow women to be lawyers. In only three days, the Conservatives passed it, with no opposition, with it finally becoming law the day before the election was called. Mabel French went on to become the first woman to be a lawyer in British Columbia. Twelve days after, Mabel French 
finally became a lawyer in BC, back in New Brunswick, one of the leaders of the St. John Women's Enfranchisement Association, Ella Hathaway, went to the legislature in Fredericton to speak on behalf of a bill to allow women the vote. In her speech, Ella Hathaway uttered for the first time in New Brunswick a brand new phrase that had never been heard before. Sexual discrimination. In response, she was heckled and jeered by the lawmakers in the legislature. Ella Hathaway retorted, Well, this isn't a very impressive group of men. It would only be years later, in 1929, that women would finally be recognized as persons in Canada. That was Backyard History with your host, Andrew McLean. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for another hidden story that happened in your own backyard. Produced by Jordan Lozier.